are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. I hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families come together. Who am I? I like it. Um, Lance asked me to speak today on uh, stolen identity in regard to women, being a woman of God. And it's such a huge topic. Like, really? What could you say in 20 minutes about to make people feel like, oh, yeah, I get what that is. So I felt the Lord said, let's just talk about one little tiny thing, a little tiny discipline that women um, maybe struggle with more than men. I don't know. Maybe men do it as equally. But for, as a woman, I can say women definitely struggle with it. And um, I just felt, he said, let's just hone in on this one thing this morning. So we're going to talk about taking our thoughts captive. We're going to talk about it through the eyes of one of my favorites, uh, through the eyes of Esther. And we're going to talk about thinking like royalty today. And uh, have you ever said to someone, what are you thinking? And an hour later said to yourself, why did I ask them that question? Because it took so long. Or have you ever said to someone like maybe your husband, are you thinking what I'm thinking? Not even close when they tell you. A few weeks back, Lance and I were uh, going for a walk on Sunday afternoon. We were talking about how great the service was. And it was the one when his sister was here and shared her testimony. Were, were there people remembering that? So for those who weren't here, Nadine got up and she shared about how she's actually going through chemo treatment right now. And at the beginning of the year, she said, to the Lord at the end of December, Lord, I want to know more of your love, and could you believe it, within, within weeks she found out she had cancer, and she's halfway through cancer treatments right now, and, um, but her testimony was amazing because in the midst of all this stuff, she said she is learning more of God's love and his goodness and his faithfulness, and she was actually so excited when she was up here sharing, she dropped her notes, and she said at the, after church, she said, I forgot to tell everyone the really good news that halfway through, she's about six treatments done and six to go, they've already told her you're cancer-free. Yeah. And so they said, you have to finish the treatment, but if this weren't working, then we would see it growing and increasing. It wouldn't be diminishing, and you're down to trace levels, which even healthy bodies have trace levels. And so she said, I forgot to tell them. I said, don't worry, I will fill them in. I'm a woman, I will give them backstory. So Lance and I were talking about that, servant, about that service, and we were talking about how great it was, and he says, yeah, he goes like, my sermon was okay, but... Her testimony was awesome. Like, my sermon was like the cake, and hers was like the icing. And he goes, everyone always likes the icing more. And we're talking, and then I just said, are you thinking what I'm thinking? He goes, yeah, my sermon was actually terrible. I'm like, no, I'm thinking, let's go to Sobeys and get red velvet cupcakes, because the icing on those cupcakes are so good. And he's like, I totally was not thinking that. I'm not proud to say by Wednesday, I had one of those red little cupcakes in my hand, and I was just like, that thought was in there, and it had been working its way. It, I resisted till Wednesday, but anyway, so... Taking our thoughts captive is just where I feel the Lord would have us go. And, you know, maybe you've even said to your husband, what are you thinking? And he said nothing. Has anyone ever had that happen to you? And you thought to yourself, liar, 
Nobody can think nothing. And maybe you read this book about men are like waffles and women are like spaghetti, and you found out men have a nothing box, and they can actually think about nothing. And then you thought to yourself, whoops. Okay, so maybe the Lord's just telling me about this topic because I need to really deal with it so you can go on my journey of what, where the Lord has me about my thinking. Anyway, we're going to look at Esther, and Esther's in the Old Testament, <coughs> uh, right around Nehemiah there, and the whole empire was under the Persian Empire at this time, and the Persian Empire came into being through Cyrus the Great. He had uh, conquered. His grandson is now in power in this story, and that's King Xerxes the Great, and he remained in power until the conquest of Alexander the Great. And if I didn't mention, my name's Cindy, and I'm married to Lance the Great. Okay, so I know in a room this big, you can't take for granted that everybody knows the whole Bible. So I want to, instead of explaining the story of Esther, I have this cute little couple-minute video that we're going to watch that's going to explain the story so we can jump into it and everybody's on the same page. And for those who don't know, it's such an awesome story. You just want to be able to catch it with us. Now it's time for a Bible story. There once lived a young girl named Esther. She lived with her adopted father Mordecai in the city of Susa, and they were secretly Jews. Now at that time, the Jewish people were under the rule of the Persian king Xerxes, who as it happened, needed a new wife. King Xerxes brought together all the most beautiful girls of the land so they could pick a new wife. And one of these beautiful girls was Esther. These girls went through days and days of beauty treatments and in time Esther became favoured by everyone and she was selected to be queen. Mordecai, Esther's father, would walk around the palace gates hoping to hear from Esther and on one day he overheard a plot by two of the king's guards to kill King Xerxes. Nah, you do it. Mordecai told Esther what he had heard and Esther told the king who dealt with the problem. Even though Mordecai saved the king's life, he never received an award and the king never knew what he did. And then Mordecai found himself in trouble when a man named Haman rose to power. Haman was second in command to Xerxes and would command all people to bow down to him. But Mordecai wouldn't, as he would only bow down to God. Haman was furious and began plans to kill Mordecai and all the Jews. Haman created a law that all Jews must be killed, even the women and the children. So Mordecai went to Esther and begged her to speak to the king. But she was afraid, for if she visited the king without an invitation, she would be killed. But Esther responded to Mordecai, asking everyone to pray for her, and decided she would approach the king, even if it meant death. Esther went to Xerxes, and because he loved her, he asked what it is that she wanted to ask him. She said, If it pleases you, my lord, you and Haman are invited to a dinner I have prepared. Time came for the meal, and at the end of the meal, the king asked Esther again what she wanted. She replied, come with Haman tomorrow to another banquet. Then I will answer your question about what I want. That night, the king couldn't sleep and decided to look through his book of records. He then discovered that it was Mordecai that had saved his life and decided to do something great for him. Haman arrived and the king asked him, what would be a way of celebrating such a great man? Now, Haman thought the king was talking about himself and suggested that a robe and a horse be provided for this great man to ride on. Perfect, said the king, and commanded Haman to arrange those things for Mordecai. Haman wasn't pleased. 
The next day came and it was time for Esther's second dinner feast. And at the end of the meal, King Xerxes yet again asked Esther what it was she wanted. She responded, if it pleases you, let me live. This is what I ask and let my people live too. For Haman wishes to kill me and all other Jews. The king was furious and had Haman taken away, removing all his possessions and giving them to Mordecai, giving him the position of second in command. Ooh, hurt. The king wrote a new law for God's people and Esther and Mordecai lived their life serving the king. See, isn't that much better than me reading? That is paraphrased, by the way. You'll want to read the whole book yourself. It's um, an awesome story. So how did Esther enter the palace? She came in. Uh, it, the story says that Mordecai was her father. She was actually an orphan. Her parents had died, and Mordecai was her cousin. She was taken in by Mordecai. She was taken to the palace, and she was taken as a wife. So far, up to that point, Esther didn't have a whole lot of decisions to make. Her life kind of happened. And sometimes we feel like that. We feel like, I don't feel like my goal setting's really working for me. I just feel like life happens. But God had his hand on her life. The next thing we know is that she came in there because she was physically beautiful. And, you know, I tell Mackenzie, honey, we're not good at crafts because you and I were just meant to be gorgeous. That's why we can't craft well. But so far that excuse is working for her until she hangs out with Auntie Mel who lets her destroy her house with glitter glue, but that's not me. God can use anything to position us. You know, David, um, when they were looking for the next king to anoint, Samuel was told, hey, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Yet, although God looks at the heart, he's not beyond using an outward appearance to position someone. And so often, those natural things we have about us, we may not seem really spiritual, but God is so much bigger than having a certain list of, of requirements to be used by him. So basically her only rule for Esther was don't be like Vashti, okay? It didn't really say in the video, but the reason the king was in the market for a new wife was he summoned his last wife to come to a banquet to show off how beautiful she was to all his friends and all the other princes of Persia, and she refused to come. She flat out said no. And so this um, angered the king and his advisors. They were so animate that this was wrong. They said, how do we know that women all over this country won't start rising up and having their own thoughts? So they sent out an edict to the whole land of Persia that said, every man should be the man of his home. And this sounds like very extreme, but actually right now in the liberal government, they are working on something very similar to this. And I know it's true because I saw it on Facebook. <laughs> so, this, but this is true. They did send out an edict saying every man should be the man of his home. So Esther had only one rule. Don't be like Vashti. Don't have your own thoughts. Don't um, be disobedient. Do what the king wants. Be beautiful and be quiet. And so Esther um, was in this story. Her identity was tied to the obedience to the king. You might not find yourself in a literal palace, but I can guarantee that your story has royalty on it. We're all part of a chosen generation and a royal priesthood. Says that in Peter. So if, like Esther, you will partner with God, your story has the potential to be historic as well. Um, <clears throat> You know, one of my personal pet peeves is when people say, 
You know, if it's meant to be, it'll be. If it's supposed to happen, it'll happen. God knows. And we say this sometimes very tritely, and we excuse any actions on our part, any positioning with him, because we can just flightingly say, well, if it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be. And so I just want to maybe point out that Esther listened to what Mordecai said. He said, you're going to go to the palace, and he said, don't tell people you're Jewish. She didn't tell. He said, there's an evil plot against the king. She told him. Every time Mordecai gave her advice, she was obedient. That's who she was, okay? So she was raised in this Jewish tradition. She was in a foreign place, but she had to be who she had to be for that time. So she was still on the outside the queen, but in her heart and her spirit, she was fully alive to God, okay? So everything that's happening in her life is coming through that lens of, her traditions of honoring the Lord, honoring her elders. We can't just say whatever's going to happen. You have to be partnered with him. And then as much as we've surrendered a circumstance and a situation, his hand is able to work in that. It doesn't just happen because if it did, we wouldn't have things like bombings in Paris, right? So we move on in the story, and um, this is where the conflict comes in. And her people were in danger of being wiped out. Mordecai sends word she's got to go before the king. And uh, she's got to uh, intercede. She's got to plead for the lives of the Jewish people. And the thing is, is that when we as women are talking about our thoughts, or men, when we talk about our thoughts, we have to differentiate between what is true and what is truth. Okay? So... True, we can have the thoughts of, the, this is true, lives were endangered. But if we go on the other side and say, God, what is truth? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. These weren't just lives that were endangered. These were covenant lives, okay? These were people who way back hundreds of years ago, God said, Abraham, come out of your tent and look up. See all those stars up there? That's how many descendants you're going to have. Okay, so God wasn't done with his promises to Abraham. So these just weren't lives in danger. These were covenant lives. And when David showed up on a war field to bring food to his brothers, everyone else looked out and saw this giant, Goliath, and thought, we're doomed. But what did David see? He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He didn't see a giant. He said, who is this person who does not have a covenant with the living God? Okay, so we got to understand where Esther was. She was raised as a Jewish person who had covenant. Okay, so one thing is true. There was danger, but truth is they were covenant lives. There was a decree word sent out. That is true. There was a word that went out. Persia was this huge, massive kingdom. It would have taken days to get the word out that on this date, Jewish people will be extinct, exterminated. But the truth is, is that God's word is the final word. And until you hear his word, until you have the ability to partner with his word, the other words don't really have value. True, she could lose her life. If you go before the king and you were not summoned, 
there was this scepter, and I guess that's what the scepter was for. I always wondered, what is that thing that kings always hold? Perhaps that's what they're always for. Extended. And if it wasn't extended, your life was not extended. And so she says, listen, Mordecai, the king has to summon you. I can't just go in. And it's been over a month since he summoned me. And so Mordecai, being very parental, knowing her, because she didn't say I'm scared. She just said, this is the rules. And Mordecai, like, you know how parents just know what the kids are thinking? He says, listen, if you think that you will be safe because you are in the palace, don't be so sure. And don't, don't worry. God will save his people, but you won't be safe just because you're in the palace. So why does he respond that? When she didn't say, I'm afraid. My guess, he's a parent. And he says, listen. So the problem is sometimes our thoughts, those safety thoughts, they're not really the safest way. When safety is partnered with fear, for sure, it's not God thoughts. Anytime. God, never. Show me where God uses fear as in dread, as in um, <clears throat> There's no hope. Show me where God says no hope is the answer. Never. That's not who God is. So a good way to ask, to, to judge your thoughts is to say, okay, is this thought fear-based? Is the decision I'm making right now based on I'm afraid of what will happen if I do or I'm afraid of what will happen if I don't? If fear is the main motivating factor, I'm pretty sure it's not God's voice speaking. Is this thought based on self-protection. Because whenever we want to protect ourselves, you know what, that's really, that's actually control. That's where we're just like, we're basically saying, God, I love you, I know you help other people, but I don't trust you in this. So I've got to do what I've got to do. And, and that's the part where sometimes God just so graciously has to, one finger at a time, loosen our pride, loosen our control, over this situation. And, so, and he's so patient. He will. He'll take it one little part. You know, when I finally get to the point where I could send my kids to kindergarten because I thought that big bad world will eat them up, you know, then he prepares me for the next stage of trusting. What? They have to take the bus? We know mean people always take buses. You know, God is so faithful. He'll let you come in stages to obedience to him, to trust of him. He will give us those lessons over and over until we trust him. Another way to judge our thoughts is to just say, can this thought, this train of thought, can this stand with the truth that I am absolutely loved? Because, you know, I, just as we are worshiping, God gave me this picture of, you know, the, the daisies, he loves me, he loves me not. And I just felt like he was saying, we do that all the time. Life is good. He loves me. I got a cold. He loves me not. Got a bonus check in the mail. He loves me. My kids are doing bad stuff. He loves me not. And I think God really wants us to get to the place where we just say, he loves me. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. And he's just so much wants us to sit with him and to see his perspective. And his love for us is not based on our performance. It's not based on how faithful we are. If it was, woe to me. 
I always promise him way more than I can deliver. But he is so faithful to me. Courage always requires risk. And uh, you know that story of the person in the Bible who, um, okay, so like they were born and they lived in the same place the whole time and they had kids and their kids were really good and they loved the Lord and um, the parents died and the kids had the same type of life and they died. What was that person's name? Yeah, right, because there's no such person mentioned in the Bible because what would we have to learn? You know, without conflict, we're not going to grow. And sometimes we pray and we pray, God, change my circumstance. And God's saying, I'm not trying to change your circumstance because I'm trying to change you. And that feels sometimes when you're in that moment, it feels like, God, this feels like you don't love me. But that's where we need to go and say, it feels like this is true. But the truth is, I know that you're never going to leave me or forsake me. I know that you've already paid the highest price for me, so you're not about to leave me now. And so we need to get on the, to partner with him to realize that courage always takes risk. And quite often, the bigger the risk, the bigger the glory payoff that's coming, right? So she gets to the point where she says, okay, if I perish, I perish. And um, the thing about that is that in the kingdom, you know, the fear was there that she could die, but in the kingdom, it says, to find your life, you have to lose it. And it doesn't mean you literally have to lose your life. It means you have to get to that point where you say, I believe God's going to answer. But if he doesn't, if I perish, I perish. That means I love him more than my life. Okay? Some people, that's required of them. But loving him more than life. So 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now, when we come to the Lord, the Lord says that in the New Testament that we can't, we have to come with faith, believing that he's going to answer, that he's going to give us wisdom, that he's going to give something good. He says he's a rewarder of those who seek him. So when we come, we've got to come expecting and believing And the Bible says that if we go back and forth, we're like a wave that's tossed on the ocean, right? So we need to get our thought trained up with the Lord, rewired to be, what are you thinking about this, God? What do you think about this? Are you worried? Oh, you're not worried. Okay, then I'm not worried. Okay, are you scared? I'm not scared either then. Lord, what do you mean it's bigger than me? What does that look like? Every action that we have is rooted in the thought that produced it. Thoughts have the power to advance us, and they have the power to stunt us. They have the power to bondage us, really. And one of the most amazing tools of warfare that we have is the ability to choose another thought. This is pretty awesome. I'm telling you, basic, basic discipline, but huge. Okay? I cannot stand here and I cannot stand over there at the exact same time. I can walk back and forth, but I can't stay on one or the other. I can't. So I can't think, God, something really great's going to happen because this is so terrible, only you can make this better. I can't be faith over here, and I can't be, this is the end. I knew it would end this way. I was pretty sure I wasn't worth the lick of a stamp. 
You know, you can't be of that mindset and this one at the exact same time. And so, you know, when I first started, probably like <clears throat> seven years ago, I kind of moved from doing devotions of just doing, you know, a few minutes kind of thing to more prayer. You know, just, you know, it started off with prayer lists and, and spending time more in prayer. And I remember at first, my, I would be so distracted. I would be sitting there thinking, okay, today I'm going to pray for like a half an hour. And I would say, I got to get oranges. I got to, I, when I go to the store, I need oranges because the kids haven't been eating the grapes and I got to get some oranges. So I'd be like, okay. And then I'd have to, okay, Lord, I'm focusing now. I'm here. I'm praying. And then I'd think, you know, before I got married, I used to clean the baseboards with Q-tips. I have not done that since I moved to Cold Lake. <laughs> I really should be doing that. And I'm talking severe distraction where one thought leads to the next one, to the next one. And I'm like, I've spent 20 minutes here, all right, but not one word of prayer. But, you know, instead of being discouraged about that, start training. You train your thoughts, right? Just like you potty train your kids. We don't try one time and say, well, that didn't work. You know, we're going to be committed because the results are worth it, right? So we need to train, and as soon as that thought wanders, that's okay, bring it back. I started keeping a notepad, and I'd make my grocery list as I was praying, and um, just coming to that place of taking it captive and just saying, if this is God, if this is good, then it's going to grow. But saying, God, what are you thinking here? And I'm going to tell you, like so many times as women, this happens, and Karen might come to me and say, you know what, I've just been struggling, I just feel so blue. And how many times do we do this? Me guilty as well. I know I've been there. It's just horrible. Well, have a good day. What? Like, honestly, where have we forgotten about something called that spirit of prophecy and encouragement in us that just says, Karen, yeah, I've been there too, but guess what, Karen? I'm telling you that God's got more for you. And that thing that feels like it's heavy on you today, it's going. It's already packing its bags because God has so much destiny and promise on you that you won't be able to believe it. And we're going to look back at this and we're going to say, remember when we bumped into each other at No Frills and we were both like, yuck, but now look at us. And, it, and we're going to, you know, whatever. It doesn't, you don't have to be really great at it, but start prophesying in your conversations and calling those thoughts out and saying, you know what? I'm going to think good things with you. Remember when you came here? Remember when we had our first conversation? How, how different it is now from then? God's bigger. He's so good. He wouldn't leave you now. And sometimes we don't have the answer, but we've got a spirit of hope in us and we can help them, right? So It was true that to approach the throne was unsafe, but the truth is there's only one safe place, and that's in Jesus Christ. And here's where we see she matures past the obedient child and the uh, obedient teen and the young wife, and she's still listening to Mordecai. He comes and he says, you won't be safe there. But all of a sudden, this awesome transition happens, and he says, go to the king and plead for the people. So what does she do? We would think the old Esther would be like, okay, here I go to the king. Hope he holds out the scepter, the, the scepter, but she doesn't. She says, hang on a second. I will go, but you get all the Jews to pray. I'm going to get my ladies to pray three days. We're doing this together. She rallies the troops, and she might have come into the kingdom as a beauty queen, 
But all of a sudden, she's taking off this tiara, and she's putting on some combat boots, and she's just like, I'm not doing this without strategy. I'm not doing this without a plan. And I need to hear, I've listened to you my whole life, Mordecai, and you're good, but i got to hear from God myself right now. Three days. When your thoughts make you want to run and be safe, partner yourself with people who are going to seek the Lord with you. Help me. Fast with me. Three days. She comes out of those three days with um, courage, resolve, and strategy. Beautiful strategy. Why two suppers? Why? I don't get it. Mordecai didn't tell her that. He said, go to the king. That's a man, right? Get the problem fixed right now. Come on, baby. Load the car. Okay. God gave her strategy. You're going to invite him, and you're going to invite him again. I love it. So she came in a queen, but that wasn't her identity. She became a deliverer, a conqueror, a warrior, an example. She, she found her identity not in who she was, not in what she did, but who she was in Christ. And that's what we're all working on, right? It's not about what we can do. It's who are we? And God said, this is who you are. Our destiny is so seldom obvious in that moment, but hindsight, ah, it was right there the whole time. Because Mordecai says to her, most awesome phrase of the whole book, but what if you came to the kingdom for such a time as this? What are you here for? Why are you in Cold Lake? Why are you in Cold Lake Community Church? Why do you live on your street? Why do you work where you work? Why are those your kids? Why are those your grandchildren? What about if where you are is for such a time as this? Vashti was summoned to the king and she refused. Esther wasn't allowed to show up unsummoned. Vashti's rash response cost her everything. Esther took the time to rewire her thinking and to rally the people. Here's just a random thought, because I like random thoughts. What about Esther's mom? She was an orphan. Did her mom hold her for like a couple hours? Did her mom have her for a couple of years? And it's like, she's not mentioned. It just says Esther was an orphan taken in by Mordecai. But she's part of the story. Without Esther's mom, we wouldn't have Esther. And so often, our kingdom position, we feel like if it's not the main center character, then it's not important. I'm telling you, her position was important. Romans 9.21 says, But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it? Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make from the same lump of clay one vessel for special occasions and another for common use? She was married to an unbeliever. She was a foreigner. 
God used her mightily. Don't ever underestimate what God's up to. Those side little details that you think have no relevance whatsoever, he doesn't waste anything. You know, my mom and I are a little different. I don't mind throwing out leftovers if they've only been there two days. She's very protective over them. She's like God. She doesn't waste nothing. So we're going to, in a couple minutes, have the kids come in with the Christmas boxes, and we're going to pray over them. <clears throat> and just another visual picture of far-reaching impact, that a little box of dollar store stuff and mittens could lighten some one day. You just never know the stories, right? We're going to pray over those and ask the team to come. Um, I guess what I feel like the Lord wants me to say this morning to the ladies, to everyone, but number one, if we can get a hold of this one discipline of taking our thoughts captive, because our thoughts become our words, become our actions, and there's never anything that happens that hasn't been moved, carried, and settled up here. Once it's acted out, you know, when someone serves divorce papers, that's not the day. They were divorced up here way long ago. When someone makes major decisions of whatever kind, there's always been a lot of thought that's gone into it. We need to watch our thoughts. The Bible says that whoever keeps your mind stayed on him, God will keep you in perfect peace. Peace and joy, they're not determined by the circumstance. They're determined by who you are and who you're standing with in the circumstance. Look around you. There are people who are just, and you can't tell from the outside what somebody's thoughts are. And that's why I say, you know, when people come through the doors, you just never know what, what their life is. Because you can look so good and put together, but you can be at the brink. And how many times are people just praying, God, if you're real, if you care about me, just send someone. We need to be so on in our obedience to just step out and say, hey, can I, can I pray for you? Did you want to grab a coffee? Are you okay? Hugging? Those are all God things. I feel like God wants us to know this morning that on his part, the scepter is extended to us. And he is so wanting to partner. His yes is yes and amen to those who are called according to his purpose. His scepter is extended. He wants major deliverance to happen here. He wants major breakthroughs to happen, miracles. And he's saying yes. And he's just saying, is there anyone in this room who would like to step out outside of safety? Is there anyone here who might be saying, you know what, I have not been tending to my thoughts, but that's stopping. I'm going to start today, Lord. I'm going to repent. Because you know what, whether it's gossip, murder, adultery, it all starts here. And victory doesn't happen accidentally. It doesn't just happen, hey, God, if you want me to be a great warrior one day, you can do it. No, you're partnered with him. You're putting aside three days fasting. You're, you're saying, Lord, I need to hear you. And when I hear you, I will run. 
What's your most prevailing thought? Is it your finances, your kids, your future, your health? We need to just get with God and say, God, what are you thinking about this? Because our perspective is like this. His is like this. We only see what's in front of us. He sees the beginning, the middle, the end. He sees the end, end. And if we will, if we will take the time, he'll, he'll let us. He'll say, come sit with me. I'll show you everything. It may not be exactly um, word for word, moment for moment revelation, but you'll be able to feel his heart. You'll be able to feel his peace. You'll be able to understand, God, are you telling me to move now? Are you telling me to stay? Are you telling me, Lord, to uh, speak this? Are you telling me to be quiet? I'm telling you, he's faithful when we seek him and ask him. So we're just going to take a couple minutes this morning and um, just listen to the Lord and say, Lord, this is what my most prevailing thought is, and I haven't even asked you, what do you think about it? by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Coley Community Church, a place where families come together.